This episode is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3 million members and supporters who are working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Anna Jane Joyner. And I'm Marianne Hitt, and this is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. Today we're going to talk about the Paris Climate Accord, President Bannon, I mean Trump's asinine decision to pull out of it, which is a disgusting and nauseating statement on so many levels. So this episode is a conversation between the two of us about the announcement, about what it means, about the massive, I think, unexpected, unexpectedly massive reaction here in the U.S. around the world and where we go from here. And while this is horrifying, it's not all bad news. There are still so many reasons to have hope, and we're going to share those with you as well. So listen in to this great episode coming up next. Anna Jane, hey there. Hi, what a week. You know, just when you think it cannot get any weirder, uh, <laughs> turns out it and can. more like cataclysmic <laughs> and epic, it does. Welcome to the Paris episode of No Place Like Home. <laughs> but we are here to help you hold on to your hope. We're, we are here to, to throw you a lifeline, so don't despair. <laughs> yes, don't despair. Hold on to hope. That should be our mantra. Absolutely. Well, I am uh, here in my office. It's summer. Uh, so my daughter is out of school. So she's busy uh, watching something. So apologies if you hear a little noise over there. We'll see. But we we working moms. We got to got to do the juggle, even as our international agreements are falling apart all around us. <laughs> <laughs> totally feel you. I am traveling in the middle of traveling. I'm actually back in Chapel Hill visiting some friends, which is where I went to school, which is super, super fun, but also you know, been a wild couple of days. So let's talk about what happened. Yeah. So for our listeners who aren't climate wonks, you might be wondering what Paris is and why it's so important. I'm sure you've been hearing a lot about it over the past couple of days. Um, Marianne, do you want to give us like the one-on-one? Like why, why does this thing matter? Well, the thing that was important about Paris more than anything is that every single country in the world came together, except for two Nicaragua, which didn't think it was strong enough, uh, the agreement, and um, Syria, which didn't really have a functioning government. But every other country on the planet came together and kind of anteed up and said, this is what we're going to do to keep our climate from spiraling out of control. And it was a proud moment in history of humanity. And uh, in just a moment that I will never forget, because I was sitting and watching it in a hotel room with my daughter, Hazel, Donald Trump stood up and said, in no uncertain terms, we are withdrawing from the Paris Agreement and we'd be happy to negotiate a better agreement, whatever that means, because no one else wants to negotiate on with him on the other side of the table. There's many things about his speech that drove me crazy for um, obvious reasons that I will explain, but that was a big one for me. Being a climate activist and watching these negotiations over literally decades now, you know, the moment in Paris where people did align and and signed on to this deal was such a historic victory. And I was, I was, you know, just happened to be working with uh, Christiana Figueres, who's the secretary of the UNFCCC, 
um, who was the woman, like this amazing badass woman who orchestrated 195 nations across the world agreeing to this to this historic thing. And she's just such a hero in my mind. And I happened to be working with her daughter. So I was getting these like very personal updates and insights um, about that process. And, and just, you know, just we'll never forget that moment where they signed the deal. And there's this like sense of jubilation and solidarity and victory across the entire world. You know, literally there are people, you know, from all nations, you know, crying and connecting. And it, it really was one of the more beautiful moments I can remember in my life. So for me to, to then see Donald Trump, who obviously hasn't even read the agreement <laughs> based on his speech, to just throw it off, you know, like it was like a, a contestant on The Apprentice, you know, it was just it was just such a startling and sad um, experience to, to watch because there's so many, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people have poured blood and tears and hard work in, into making it happen. So that was that hit me pretty hard and and definitely um, made me, you know, made me pretty sad to just think of, of all that hard work. Well, yeah, and you and I were together in Paris um, when all this happened. We were there as part of the giant contingent of thousands of people from all over the world. And uh, and I just personally remember feeling uh, so hopeful. And I still do, I will say. I want folks to not give up. But I remember feeling so hopeful that all the world had come together to solve a big problem together. And uh, I also remember, remember being struck by how... The U.S. seems to be the only country where this is so politicized and so partisan. Everywhere else, it's just very practical. It's this is what the science says. Uh, we've got to take steps, and um, so let's just keep on moving forward. And I think what is heartbreaking to me is to see my country withdraw its leadership from that incredible, inspiring effort. I mean, I think that on the ground in states and in cities, we're going to keep moving forward. I actually think that through grassroots action, we're going to still meet the target that we committed to in Paris even. So I think we're going to keep bringing emissions down. But I I am very sad to see our leadership in the world sort of disappear in front of my eyes like a ghost. And, you know, I was, um, I was in this hotel room with my daughter and when – Donald Trump said the words, I am withdrawing from the Paris Agreement, very unexpected to myself. I started to cry because I just was looking at her and thinking about what that agreement represented for her and all of the kids who, you know, by the time they're adults, they're going to have a lot less power to do anything about this. And just what a cynical, uh, destructive action had just been taken for all these little kids that don't have a voice and, um, and for what it means for our leadership in the world, for not just kids here, but all around the world. So I'm very, I'm more determined than ever. To yeah. Keep going forward. I mean, I think, you know, before we jump to hope, which I think there's a lot of hope and, and in some ways this has even inspired more hope than I've seen in a long time. But, you know, one thing that really got me was he, you know, very early on in the speech kind of attacked the green climate fund as a primary reason that he wanted to pull the U.S. out of this of this climate agreement. And that just really hit me hard because if for those of you who aren't climate wonks like me and Marianne, that was the part of the agreement that helped developing countries who don't have as many means adapt to this agreement. So it, you know, it's a small portion of, of many um 
many countries' budgets who do have more means who go to help these these poor, more vulnerable countries adapt. And and I think what's just really striking is that you know most of these countries have not contributed to you know climate impacts and, and carbon pollution in the way that the United States and and China and other countries have. And so you have the most powerful, most wealthy country in the history of the world saying we don't we don't want to help these smaller countries who not only don't have the means to to be able to face this crisis, but also didn't contribute as much you know anywhere near as much to the crisis in the first place and. It struck me as just blatantly evil, frankly, that um, to see our federal government take that position was just really disturbing. I had this kind of amazing experience a couple of years ago to travel with a minister, a pastor from Tuvalu, um, and going around and and sharing his story with different churches and universities around the country. And, you know, Tuvalu is just being inundated with sea level rise. It's, you know, they're essentially sinking and it's it's a really traumatic, horrible situation. I posted something on Facebook saying just, you know, I'm so sorry. This is, this is so incredibly wrong in my mind. And he wrote me the sweetest note um, just saying, you know, they're very concerned, obviously, and saddened but that they are really grateful to people who in the United States and other countries around the world who are continuing to fight for this and that they don't hold it against us that our our government would take this position. And that was just very personally um, striking and also just showed so much grace and forgiveness. And, and I can't, you know, I just can't imagine that feeling to be on the very front lines of climate change and seeing the wealthiest country in the world kind of abdicate their responsibility and still to to meet it with grace and understanding was was very striking to me. Well, you know, on the same lines, one thing that really struck me was the the video by the president, new president of France, who said, I still believe in you, America, and the world still believes in you. And um that was the message that I didn't know I needed to hear until I heard it because I still believe in us too, you know, and I still, I still believe that we are the country that signed that agreement. And we, you know, we are leading the world in reducing our carbon emissions because of grassroots advocates who've been retiring coal plants and replacing them with clean energy and, you know, in their towns, in their States, in their regions who have been getting electric vehicles online and putting solar on their houses. And, Hearing him say, I still believe in you, we can still do this, sort of remind, <laughs> reminded me that I still believe in us too, you know? And I think that that is, that's a message that I hope I can deliver to all of our listeners. And, you know, I've been in the trenches of this grassroots movement of people who have retired on over half the coal-fired power plants in the United States and have ushered in a revolution in clean energy. And, you know, if you read the newspaper, you might just think that's all happening because of people on Wall Street or because of electricity markets, but it is most assuredly not. It is most definitely because of regular folks fighting to get more clean energy and less polluting energy in their communities, because that's where decisions get made in this country about how we get our electricity. It is not made by politicians in Washington. It is made by people in cities and towns and states. And that's going to keep happening. It's going to keep going forward. There have been many uh, electric utility CEOs, you know, people who provide the power to your house, who have said in the newspaper since just since Trump's announcement that they're not changing anything. They're going to keep increasing clean energy. 
And so that's uh, another important message that came out of all of this for me was that uh, I still believe in us. I still believe in all of you and we can keep moving forward. Let's stay on that train for a moment and talk about like what within this speech was blatant lies, which was most of it. But one thing that comes to mind was his assertion that, you know, the, the United States gonna, was going to suffer this kind of huge economic hit. I think he used, I think he said, actually, I have the quote in front of me. That thus, as of today, the United States will cease all implementation of the non-binding Paris Accord in the draconian financial and economic burdens the agreement imposes on our country, which is so hilarious because you can't have a non-binding agreement that is also placing draconian financial and economic burdens. Um, And the reality is this was a non-binding agreement. It's something that each country gets to present their own you know, path forward. And, and we have the freedom to be able to present a different path forward if, if the administration wanted to, but he, you know, he obviously didn't, he just pulled out altogether. Um, but also he said quite a, on, along those lines, he said a lot of damning things about sort of jobs that would be taken away. Um, and I was curious if you could speak to that because, you know, and also Scott Pruitt, the, the now head of the EPAs, you know, kind of backed up a lot of those, a lot of those assertions and, my understanding is that is just blatantly false. You are correct. Uh, I think it's an old and worn out argument of opponents of climate action that doing something about climate change cripples our economy when the opposite is true. We have now three times the jobs in wind and solar that we have in the coal industry overall, probably four or five times more jobs in wind and solar than coal miners. And that's not to say that those uh, coal mining jobs and coal plant jobs aren't important to the people that have them. They most definitely are. And, and at the same time, the part of our economy that's growing is wind and solar. And what has been the biggest source of growth in our economy over, as we've recovered from this recession, one of the biggest sources has been clean energy. So the, I mean, it, like a lot of ideas in the Trump administration, frankly, it, this is a very old, outdated and disproven idea um, that, addressing climate change is going to hurt our economy. And when the reality is true, that addressing climate change is creating incredible new economic opportunity in a whole new industry that we didn't have before that's employing hundreds of thousands of people. Um, But the other thing that you said that I think is important to underscore is Scott Pruitt himself. I mean, it was just salt in the wound of to have of all people after Trump made that announcement to have the head of the EPA stand up right after he and made this announcement and just crow about how this was the greatest action any president had ever taken. I mean, this is the head of the Environmental Protection Agency. This is the agency that is charged with looking out for public health and welfare and protecting us from pollution. And he sounded like the, you know, head of the Friends of Coal or something. And so um, he, I think, uh, Scott Pruitt in particular, has revealed his true colors. He actually went on the Sunday talk shows believe it or not, and said the Sierra Club did not (laughs) support the Paris Agreement. And so if that just gives you any sense of his flat out lying that he is willing to do, I'm here to tell you the Sierra Club most definitely was on the ground fighting for the Paris Agreement. And he is there to do the work of the coal industry in particular, but also the oil and gas industry and is most assuredly not there to do the work of protecting our health and welfare from pollution. And he really showed his true colors in that moment. And I think the backlash 
the backlash that they have gotten and that he has gotten uh, has been honestly surprising to me. But um, his moment of crowing about that, I don't think he got to enjoy that for very long because he's been making the rounds on the talk shows, but the, the backlash has been massive. So that's one thing that gives me a great deal of hope is like seeing all of these companies and cities and states um, and, and individuals come together and say, no, we are going to uphold the Paris Agreement. We are going to fight climate change. This is bullshit, essentially. It's funny, like Christiana Figueres, who's the you know the incredibly brilliant woman who kind of shepherded this agreement as, this, as the secretary of the UNFCCC, she posted this great tweet right after it happened that was essentially like, thank you, Donald Trump, for sparking an incredible wave of climate activism. You know, basically what we're seeing right now is, you know, had they said nothing about climate, Paris or even, you know, continue to go with it, we wouldn't have seen this level of new commitment and energy. And, and, and it's just really heartening to me to see, you know, different entities from all across the country and, and world um, say, no, we are in this, like, we are not, we're not going to go away and, and fold. And, and I'd love to hear kind of your, your take on all that. Well, there's uh, if folks want to check out, uh, we are still in.com. That is a, a effort that sprang up in the wake of the announcement, 1200 governors, uh, mayors, businesses, investors, universities, uh, stepped up to say they are still supportive of and committed to meeting the goals of the Paris agreement it includes, Leaders of 125 cities, and this is in the U.S., nine states, 900 businesses and investors, 183 colleges and universities, over 20 Fortune 500 companies. According to this, it represents 120 million Americans. I assume that's Americans that live in those states and cities. So long story short, um, I don't. I don't know if anybody anticipated just this outpouring of support across all these sectors for the Paris Agreement and our climate leadership that sprung out of this shocking moment. But to me, uh, you know, when you think of the kind of iconic moments we have had in the past few months since the election, like the Women's March, uh, like the protests against the, the Muslim ban, this was one of those moments where this organic sung from the rooftop, sung from the mountaintops opposition to this administration's agenda was just loud and clear and heard around the world. And that to me was so encouraging and so reassuring and frankly, surprising. I mean, Michael Brun, um, uh, director of Sierra Club, put a note up that said uh, Trump had poured gasoline on to a movement that was already on fire or something to that effect. Um, and, uh, you know, several cities committed to 100% clean energy in the wake of the announcement, including Pittsburgh, who the president specifically called out saying, I'm the mayor of, I was, <laughs> I was elected to be the president of Pittsburgh, not of Paris. And Pittsburgh then said, hey, we're going to sign up for 100% clean energy. Um, so several cities did that. Additional coal plant retirements were announced even in the, like the 20, within 24 hours of the, the announcement. And, um, you know, obviously it was the dominant story for all of us on our social media and on the news and in the world. And so if we ever doubted that we were a movement or that there was a huge amount of energy behind what we're trying to do, I think we can put those doubts to rest. Paris, being in Paris the first time put those doubts to rest for me, but this reaction to withdrawing from Paris uh, put those doubts to rest even further. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny. One of the like most personal things that happened as it was, even the day before actually, is my cousin who is not an activist. He was actually a, a proud Republican until recently. Um, he's you know, a doctor. He's kind of like as far away from a climate activist as you can imagine. 
And he was texting me throughout those couple of days, just being like, this is total and complete bullshit. Cole is dead. It's crazy that he tried to bring him back. This guy's a complete, you know, this guy's terrible. He's just, you know, a lunatic, essentially. Um, I can't believe that we would, we would fold the climate agreement. And just to see like someone in my own personal life who is not, you know, not like a, you know, super tied into climate change or, or, or to the climate movement, just like show utter and complete outrage at, at, at this decision was very heartening <laughs> to me and made me think that this was really reaching beyond kind of the normal choir and, and, and going deeper into our society um, that a lot of people are really upset. I saw uh, there was a new Reuters poll today that said six in 10 Americans, you know, strongly think that we should stay in the, in the Paris climate agreement. So I think this has really released a, a powerful force uh, that in some ways is incredibly beneficial and, you know, that we can harness moving forward. And, and that does give me a, a lot of hope. One thing that we will be doing in the Beyond Coal campaign, if you want to join us, is translating these commitments into action. So if a city or a, uh, other entity says they want to get more clean energy and less polluting energy, that's what we do in the Beyond Coal campaign is the advocacy to make that happen. So you can get involved and support us. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a, a blog post by my colleague, Mara Cowley, about 10 things that you can do to resist this uh, horrific mistake. And so there's lots of ideas there, including social media and uh, and town halls and whatnot. Uh, calling your senators does still matter. We'll put a number in the show notes. I, I will give you one right now, which is 218 209 4082. So again, it's 218-209-4082. Uh, and they need to hear from you that you oppose this uh, action because they are going to have lots of decisions in front of them regarding our climate leadership or lack thereof as at the federal level. And so check that out and do what you can in your community to try to push for more clean energy there, because that is the place, again, where those decisions get made, whether it's through the Beyond Coal campaign. We also have a Ready for 100 campaign where that's where cities and mayors are making those kind of commitments to 100% clean energy. So uh, there lots that you can do in your community where you are. And then, you know, even whether your senator is a champ or an opposition or on the fence, uh, it matters that you hear from them. I just want to close this conversation um, with a, a note from my friend, Reverend Tafui from Tuvalu, um, which is one of the countries that's being most impacted by climate change. He just sent me the sweetest, um, you know, kind of prayer um, that says, we are together with you and we thank you for your commitment. You're in our prayers as we continue to fight hand in hand. So cheers to fighting hand in hand with all of you. Oh, that's beautiful. I still believe in us. Yes. We yes. still believe in you. We're going to do that. Thanks, everyone. Keep the faith. <laughs> okay, that does it for us this week. Marianne and I want to thank y'all so much for listening. We also want to thank our sponsor, the Sierra Club, and the amazing band River Wireless for our theme music. This episode was produced by the awesome Zach Mack, who we want to congratulate on his other podcast, Binge Mode, about Game of Thrones, which just premiered at number two on the iTunes charts. We are very proud of you, Zach, and we are not going to give you a hard time in the credits this week. Yay, Zach! Subscribe to us on iTunes if you like our podcast, and please leave us a review on iTunes. This really makes our day, and it helps us get the word out to new people. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, and we post all of our episodes, updates, information on our Twitter page, which is at NPLH Podcast. We also post articles and things we're interested in there, and that's a place where we would love to hear from you. 
Speaking of which, if you like our show or have any questions, comments, suggestions, or want to be part of our show by reading a dinner party climate fact for an upcoming episode, tweet at us. Again, we're at NPLH Podcast. And remember, there is no place like home.